you know, we ventilate, we breathe through our mouth and yeah. our nose, we don't really breathe through our skin. Yes. And, and it's the same way with buildings. Yeah. Uh, it, uncontrolled, warm, humid air moving from inside through assemblies or from through assemblies to the outside or from outside during air conditioning season through the assemblies to the inside. The risk of condensation in the assemblies gets pretty high. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you avoid that by air sealing. Homestyle Green, episode 179. Why is air tightness so important for maintaining indoor air quality? G'day and welcome back to another episode of Homestyle Green. This is the podcast dedicated to inspiring people to make a better place to live. Terry Brennan is an inspiring person. He literally wrote the book on managing moisture for improved indoor air quality. He's a lead author of a landmark 2013 Environmental Protection Agency book called Moisture Control for Building Design, Construction and Maintenance. And that has since become a standard reference document for the industry across the US. This year in November, Terry visited Australia as a keynote speaker for the Building Designers Association of Australia and also the Australian Institute of Refrigeration, Air Conditioning and Heating. And we took this opportunity to bring Terry across to New Zealand for a short visit and a workshop at the Proclima Hub where I caught up with him to chat about building science, mould and how to build better. So I started out by asking Terry how he got into construction and this thing called building science. Well, it's sort of a, an honest combination of I, I, my uncle owned a light commercial construction company. Mm-hmm. So my first jobs were... Um, uh, applying sealant yeah. <laughs> and uh, um, tending masons. Right. So those are my first jobs as a as a, a kid. So uh, masons, as in brick, uh, bricks, brick, brick, uh, c- concrete block, yep. and stone. Stone. Yeah. Yeah. So so helping those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Where where you, the first Being thing you learn is that everything you've done is wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and if they're not going to see it, don't bother to strike the joints because. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there's uh, that that's part of my upbringing. But I trained in physics. You know, I've always been interested in electronics and. Why was that? What what attracted you to physics? You had a construction and building background. Uh, natural curiosity, I think. I just uh-huh. wanted to understand how things work. Yeah. That was as far back as I can remember. You know, in, in, when I was in fourth grade, I thought I wanted to be a paleontologist. But as you do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I ended up training in physics. Yeah. Uh, and after I graduated in physics, we had these oil embargoes in the States. Where yes. The... Price of fuel and oil skyrocketed. Yep. And we were all thinking about what can we do to So it was mid to late seventies. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, and I thought, well, given my construction background and my physics training, I ought to be able to do something with this. And was building physics and building science a recognized thing at that time? Not in the U.S. Right. Not in the U.S. First time I heard the phrase "building scientist" was. Um, like 1984 or so, uh-huh. I, was, I was at the uh, the National Bureau of Standards, it was, and mm-hmm. now it's the National Institute of Science and Technology, and they they had a symposium on uh, measuring the R value of windows. Right. 
And uh, so I, I was at that, and at lunch I sat with some Swedes, and they asked me what I did, and I told them what I, the things that I was up to, and they said, oh, you are a building scientist. Ah. <laughs> and I said, I guess. And there you are, you got light bulbs. <laughs> yeah, that's right, a, a light bulb went off, and I, yeah. I thought, I guess the hell I am. <laughs> yeah, because you had meshed together your building background and through your father, and then yeah. your interest in, in physics. I guess the, the cool thing about physics, it's really that I think of it as the fundamental science, really, because even chemistry, like we were talking about before, with molecules and valence, and it's kind of physics. The well, chemists don't like to admit that. But. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, neither do physicists, but it, it really, by the time you're studying at a master's level in chemistry or physics, you're studying the same thing. Yeah. You know, the classes are essentially the same. Yeah. It, uh, and and it, and. Not surprisingly, it's the same with biology. When you get down yep. to the molecular level in biology, we're all thinking about the same yep. mental models yep. and mathematics. So how does one get paid to be a, an interest in, have an interest in physics? <laughs> just having an interest doesn't <laughs> can create a business. Well, the, 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 the business, it, it depended over the years. It changed. Initially, it was uh, we want to use less fuel. Right. And, and then the law of unintended consequences kicked in, and it was now that we've made my building three air changes per hour at 50 pascals, I'm starting, things are sweating, and I'm growing mold. What do I do about that? So, was the drive to make buildings airtight and energy efficiency? problem for us that was an energy energy. yeah fuel use that was a fuel use problem for us so it was understood in america at that time that limited resources if i seal the house up it's going to be easier to heat i'm going to use less fuel absolutely and and what we learned when we started sealing things up like that is we got these other unintended consequences some of which were very good Mm-hmm. Like, um, it makes it much harder for insects to colonize your building. Right. It, it, the building is much quieter. Mm-hmm. Sound just doesn't come in. Yeah. So that's, that's helpful. And it solves a whole bunch of um, condensation problems yep. in the enclosure to yep. make the assemblies airtight. Right. And manage the flow of water vapor and air. Yeah. Um, and heat and, and the airflow is the most imp- the first most important step make the assembly airtight because uh, warm humid air can do an end run around all your beautiful materials that are managing vapor diffusion so more important than insulation do you think um, the Without it being airtight, you can you can have a very nice looking assembly of insulation and uh, vapor control products mm-hmm. that end up being defeated because the air leaks around it. So right. it's like a, a necessary precondition right. to making your insulation. Like when I model things with when like Wolfie is what mm-hmm. I use these days. Yeah. When I model things, if the assembly is not airtight. Wolfie can't really model it very well. Yeah, right. But when I have airtight assemblies and I go out to the field and I make measurements, I see things that Wolfie predicts. So Wolfie being hydrothermal, so it's measuring or modeling temperature flows 
at the same time as modelling moisture flows. The moisture flows, that's and right. And if, if there's no control of air movement, then you're just dumping a, whatever the ambient conditions are. That's, that's right. The, if, you, if you have a warm, humid air leaking into your wall assembly and bypassing an insulation layer and getting to a vapor impermeable layer that's chilled by the air conditioning inside, yeah. Now you've got condensation in, yeah. uh, inside your wall cavity that you hadn't counted on. And it doesn't really matter what the wall's made of. It doesn't matter how good it looks in section. Right. In terms yeah. of vapor diffusion. Look good on the plan. <laughs> but the, they've done, it's, the air leakage has brought the warm uh, water molecules with it to the cold surface. Right. So were you consulting at this time, or is it, was there a... Uh, well, I, I was uh, building. I was actually building single-family residential houses from like 1978 right. to 1984, 85. Uh -huh. uh, at which point, the, be, because of the physics training and uh, uh, my ability to measure things yeah. in the field, um, I began writing articles and journals and delivering papers. Right. And, uh, Not just a typical builder. No, there was nothing typical about it. Yeah. It, it, I mean, that, and that was in the days when microcomputers were first really available. Yeah. yeah. If it weren't for that, I wouldn't have been able to, to do it. Right. So it's the dawn of word processing. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> and access to information, I guess, as well. And, and I could write programs and I could. I could I, I wrote a hydrothermal modeling program back there wow. in the 70s. Yeah. A, a simple one and I wrote thermal network programs to predict temperatures of elements and assemblies and wow. So I I could do those things. What so. was the demand for buildings that performed better? Were were people uh, coming and asking you to build a certain way because they were conscious of the shortage of energy? It was the it began with the fuel use, yeah. uh, and then when the price of fuel stabilized, what what happened is um, people were interested in these these side effects that we had, like better air quality, better right. thermal comfort, uh, more resistant to colonization by pest species. Mm -hmm. So there are these other benefits that people it turned it turned out people were more interested in that than in fuel savings. Right. <laughs> right. So. But how did the um, the issues of being too airtight arise? Did, was there any fear of being airtight? In, no, oh, absolutely. The, right. the, in, in the States, it, the phrase was, the buildings should be able to breathe. Yes, yep. And, and what did you say to that? What's your response? The, yes, buildings should be able to breathe, but I want them to breathe in the places that are, special places for yep. them to breathe. I don't want them to breathe accidentally through the wall or through the roof because that resulted in moisture problems in both heating and cooling climates. Right. So, so I wanted the assemblies to be able to resist condensation, mm -hmm. but I wanted to be able to exchange the air in the building. So the wall shouldn't breathe, but the whole house the, should breathe. The whole house should breathe, and that, that I want to come in through a, an intentional opening like windows or like mm -hmm. a, um, an exhaust outlet or an outdoor air intake yep. inlet. But that's where I want it to breathe. Right. And that way I can 
seal those penetrations against rain penetration. I can seal them against air leakage. Yep. And I can insulate them so that surfaces are kept above dew point. Yep. When as the air comes in or goes out. Into the and did people get that? Um, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes they did. <laughs> yeah. Enough. Enough times. <laughs> enough times. Yeah. Uh, and we were fortunate in the U.S. We had a, a Canadian building scientist migrate to the U.S. back around that time. Who's that? Uh, oh, Joe Stiebrecht. Oh, right. Yes. Uh, you've, yes. You've heard. You've heard of Joe. Well, most people who've come to that term of building science <laughs> yeah. would have known of. I've probably heard about, yep. about Joel. Yeah, yep. and so he, he and I hit it right off when we met in awesome. back, back in the States because we arrived at the same places. Because he's still got a physics background as well, isn't he? He does. Yeah. He's um, uh, trained in aerospace engineering, yeah. actually. So yeah. he, he is a rocket scientist. He totally is a rocket scientist, yeah. yeah. So he's... <laughs> Uh, insulation might not be rocket science. It's like you said, it can be harder. It 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 is the the like I said the modeling for rockets, except for rocket motors and nozzles. That mm-hmm. that's there's a lot of art and mystery involved in that. Yeah. But but the ballistics and all that are very well understood. The models work real well. Yeah. Yeah. But the models for buildings are far trickier. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're going at, at different levels of um, of that physics spectrum from sort of Newtonian physics, which is easy, easy for most people to get their head around, you know, gravity. <laughs> but when you start getting into vapor pressure, things just get weird and, and quite complicated <laughs> they, as well. They do, and, but even that's the physics of the 17th century. <laughs> True, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but it, it, uh, the, for what makes building so much trickier is the... Uh, the uncertainty involved in the climate. Yep. And the uncertainty involved in the occupants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, buildings would be simple if there weren't people inside. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we can make buildings work without people in them. If we could just get the yeah, yeah, occupants yeah. out, yeah. it becomes so simple. Problem solved. Yeah. Because yeah. people do weird stuff inside them. Astonishing. I had, I had a case one time where a guy had decided on the third floor of an, a seven-story apartment building that he could barbecue a pig in the cast iron bathtub of his apartment. Oh, nice. Awesome. <laughs> it didn't work out that well. Is a, a shared ventilation system for this? Oh, yeah. There's a rooftop power exhauster with uh, right. laterals going into a riser. <laughs> for each apartment, he thought I got an exhaust fan. Yeah, yeah. I'll uh, yeah. just uh, get the briquettes in there, <laughs> nice, <laughs> get it all nice. going, and uh, wow. smoked out the whole apartment building. And <laughs> I, I imagine you've uh, you've seen some crazy things in your time. <laughs> when did you stop, um, or have you stopped building? Uh, yeah, I I stopped um, actually doing real work. In <laughs> <laughs> you know, about 1984, 1985, uh-huh. when I had the, um, the U.S. EPA and the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority had been hiring me to uh, work on research projects, indoor air quality research projects, because I had made a number of measurements and fixed uh, some radon problems in buildings yeah. that I had encountered. 
and published that data. And, right. And they got interested, and there were only two or three of us in North America with that kind of experience. So yeah, right. They began hiring me to actually do research projects. And, nice. And, and I, I, I couldn't do both, really. If, right. If you're running a construction company, you just have to be there all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. And, and but I, that's it's <laughs> kind of neat how you started doing what interested you and, and what was um, fascinating to you at the time, what was relevant at the time. And eventually people took notice and, and came along and said, hey, can you use some more of this and we'll yeah. obviously pay you for it. And um, it becomes a thing then. And yeah, then, that's how it worked. Yeah, and through the work that you published and the research that you'd done, and just from from your own, what started as your own interest, I guess. It, it, exactly, it's just a matter of curiosity and mm. trying to and puzzles. You know, I just love puzzles. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and in, in the field of physics, to actually make a measurement that might be useful. Yeah. You, you, you have to have advanced degrees, you have to have a synchrotron, you have to... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. With a, a, a $45 magnahelic, I could go out and measure pressure differences in buildings and report things that no one had yet reported, in, right. in, at least in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and that's exciting for me. What was the drive for those agencies why were they interested in indoor air quality so was it was did you say the well, EPA well EPA the... so they they had uh, at that time they were just starting an indoor environments division yeah. at the EPA and why were they doing that they were doing that because uh, there was an EPA researcher uh, Lance Wallace um, mm-hmm. who uh, had gone to uh, New Jersey because they were people had been measuring in uh, their homes high levels of benzene, and uh-huh. uh, and they were near an oil refinery. That's why they right. were actually measuring. They thought we might be getting contamination from the oil refinery. Right. And Lance went up there and he made measurements outdoors and he made measurements indoors and discovered that benzene levels were higher indoor in indoor spaces than in outdoors. Wow! Uh, near and downwind of the. Uh, refinery. So the benzene <laughs> was, was getting in and benzene was in. from indoor sources. Oh, so it wasn't necessarily. It from wasn't the from the plant. The, right. The, it was the and he devo- Lance uh, devoted a fair amount of time and energy into getting the message to people that we're getting our exposures from indoor sources of contaminants mm. and we need to and we have no regulation or guidelines for any of that we have regulation for outdoor air contaminants yep. and so we're missing and people spend a lot more time indoors so we're missing a lot of the exposure that we're supposed to be protecting people from right and so the agency decided they would start a division to actually um, review what's known Figure out what research might need to be done, right? And, uh, and educate on what we know now. So very quickly came into the health realm. Yes, very quickly. As opposed to the energy efficiency, which kind of kicked it off. Uh, now we're talking about the health of the indoor environment. Yeah, absolutely, and I was just, the first time I heard anything about that. I, that. I, that was very exciting for me to think about, uh, well, what things are we exposed to inside yeah. that might potentially have health effects for the people in the buildings? Yeah. And what can we do about them? 
So benzene, in this case, sort of rang the bell. Were there other contaminants that were found that were of concern? Well, uh, indoor radon was one. That's a... Yeah, so radon's not that well known here. People aren't concerned about it. It would depend on what kind of uh, radium sources you have in the geology here. Yeah, I, I don't know. I th I, I've heard anecdotally that there are some pockets because we have some geothermal, you know, we have a lot of activity. Uh, that there might be yeah, some, you might some, have some, some areas. In, in Yellowstone National Park, they're, they're, uh, they have radon problems there. Right. And that's also a place of thermal, yeah. uh, geothermal activity. Uh, but it's generally not uh, worried about yeah. um, here. But we do certainly have moisture, which... So tell us about moisture, because moisture itself isn't, uh, isn't toxic, is it? No. No, moisture is um, it's a facilitator. Right. It's really the the issue. The any any living thing needs a source of moisture, mm. whether it's insects or mammals or birds or yeah or uh, molds, uh, yeah. fungi, spores, um, or bacteria. Right. So so. Uh, and when it comes to things like bacteria and molds mm -hmm. the, and wood decaying fungi, the, the spores are everywhere. The, the, right. we, yep. we would, any place you looked, if we swabbed the wall in here, mm -hmm. for every square centimeter, we'd find a few spores. Yep. So the spores are there. Uh, so it becomes a question of is there a nutrient for them mm -hmm. and is there enough liquid water there for them to germinate and grow. Yep. Um, and the thing that we have the most control over yep. is the water piece. Right. And in some cases, the nutrient piece is important to us. That right. means a material selection. Yep. Or, yep. Um, but largely it comes to moisture control. Yep. So that, that's part of why I have been interested for many years in moisture control is right. because it links to the, the mold issues and the bacterial issues. Yeah. Which I got interested in in the late 1980s because I realized I'd been looking over my uh, forensic caseload, my mm -hmm. problem building caseload, and I realized that about 30 or 40 percent of my caseload was moisture related. Right. And, and with moisture often came microbial growth. Yeah. And I thought I ought to learn something about microbial yeah. growth. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I hiked off to uh, study mold uh, at the uh, University of Michigan with um, Harriet Burge, the, right. who is the, the premier mold researcher in, in those dim dark days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and took classes to learn about the microbial awesome. contaminants. Was he, or has that work just been in the, the growth of, of mold and, and how that works? Or have you looked at any uh, research around the effect, the human health of mold, mold spores and mold uh, and respiratory illness, I've, those sorts of things? I've, uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not a health person. Right, re your physicist, really. but <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and physics folks are, are notorious for sticking their nose in other fields where right, they don't belong. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so with the disclaimer that no, I'm not really a health person. 
I, I did um, serve as a, as a special consultant to the uh, National Academies of Science Institute of Medicine uh-huh. Committee on Health and Dampness and Buildings. Right. And as part so of they bring you in as the expert they on... They brought me in as... They, they first, first they had me come and uh, um, talk to them about moisture and mold problems in buildings. Right. And then they invited me to come and participate in, on the committee. Right. Um, because they they thought they needed a building science person. Nice. And they, they already had actually well, very good. So that's but I mean that suggests that someone there has made that connection between the, those respiratory illnesses, health issues, and the building. Yes, a- absolutely. Uh, the when I when they first invited me, Harriet Birch, who I had studied with, was the chair of the the committee. Right. So she knew that. I knew things that she wanted her community to hear. Yeah. So yep. that was part of the reason. And but they already had Bill Fisk from Lawrence Berkeley National Labs, yeah, who's right. an outstandingly good building scientist. Yeah, yeah. Um, on the committee. With, well, they obviously yeah. thought highly of you as well. <laughs> well, for for uh, an independent person who owns a company with you know three to seven employees over the years yeah, yeah, yeah. and not affiliated with any institution. To get invited to an Institute of Medicine committee is a pretty yeah yeah, but I mean that that's kind of valuable as well because you are independent <laughs> you you don't you're not um, sponsored by you know, <laughs> anyone or anything. Well, they, initially they said I they they had thought of inviting me, but then they thought they couldn't because I'm a practitioner in the field that they were charged oh, to right, assess. Right, right. And yeah. they decided they would make an exception. So. Ah, you're <laughs> so, exceptional. <laughs> at any rate, that was that was uh, when we, as part of that, we reviewed three thousand health-related studies. Wow. So, and there's a published report on that, and I, I do have one slide that just lists the a summary of their findings. Oh, great! On, I'll check that out because so, yeah, we're searching for evidence well, to back up that case. Then. And you can you can download the PDF from yeah, them yeah. for free. It's a free download oh, cool. of, for the cool. report on dampness and health in buildings. We'll put a link to that. And for sure. It's about ten years old now, so and there's that means that it's about ten years in our future because we always say that we're about <laughs> twenty years behind <laughs> the rest of the world, certainly North America and, and Europe. Um, which I wanted to ask you, um, from your perspective, you know lots of traveling now and speaking and, and, and with your research, where are we at globally uh, on this sort of pathway of, of creating better buildings? Well, I, ha- I have to say I'm optimistic mm-hmm. um, in, in that if you had asked me 20 years ago if we would be as far along as we are now, I would have said no. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm astonished at, uh, at how much change I have actually seen in, mm-hmm. uh, in, and, and in not only in the U.S., but in many European countries and uh, in a number of Asian uh, countries. Yeah. Um, things really are progressing uh, the, and building science, uh, the science of Getting better buildings yep. is become a part of all the uh, green building programs that yep. I see. It's become, and it's become part of the industry. Yeah, uh, both the the on the design 
uh, and planning side of buildings mm -hmm. and on the construction. Yeah. Well, and thirdly, in the uh, operation and maintenance of buildings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, uh, it's pretty remarkable. We, we have uh, 20, 25 years ago, we would have to go, yeah, you know, I think we can make ice and water shield work as uh, an air barrier and a drainage plane. Yeah, yeah. And, and if we put insulation on both sides of it, we, we're, we've got a vapor barrier in the right spot for both heating and cooling, so we can use this in any of our climates. And yeah, yeah. So, and we'd have to sort of make that up. Right, right. Now there are whole systems like uh, the kinds of thing, products that you guys mm. are working mm. with. The, the products are thought through and they have their char characteristics, yep. uh, uh, hydrothermal characteristics are well understood. Yep. Um, and the uh, information's available to the engineer and the and architect. Um, and uh, importantly, the chemical compatibility of all the products mm -hmm. has been worked through. Yeah, so that right. you know you're working with a, a family of products now that you're, you're not saying, I can, can I take this material and use it in the way the manufacturer never yeah, intended yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> to make something that we know will yeah. work based on the yeah. physics of the situation. Yeah. Cool. So that's a huge, that's a huge uh, advance. Yeah, because, yeah. Because the, the manufacturers are out there now actually promoting better understanding yeah. of how buildings actually yeah. work in, in regard to the hydrothermal, the moisture and the heat transfer. So. Yeah, so things are looking up. Things are definitely looking up. I know you've only just arrived here in New Zealand <laughs> and you're heading off to Australia, but for somewhere where we often say that we are 20 years behind, <laughs> what would you, what would your advice be to our building industry here? Ah, um, Well, I guess my advice would be to not be afraid to make your, your walls and your uh, ceiling, roof, and foundations airtight, to uh -huh. air seal them. Yep. Um, and to plan, but to plan ventilation for the, for the building, right. because the building will need ventilation. And, right. Uh, so coming back to having those... Those designed holes that you want. That's right. I, I, the, you know, we ventilate. We breathe through our mouth and yeah. our nose. We don't really breathe through our skin. Yes. And, and it's the same way with buildings. Yeah. Uh, it, uncontrolled, warm, humid air moving from inside through assemblies or from through assemblies to the outside or from outside during air conditioning season through the assemblies to the inside. The risk of condensation in the assemblies gets pretty high. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you avoid that by air sealing. Yeah. Uh, so don't be afraid of air tightness. Yeah, don't be afraid of it. And, and maybe not so much of a problem for New Zealand, but for a lot of the the world, the infiltration of ultrafine particles from outdoor air into the building is the biggest exposure to the fine particles that people got. Yeah, I mean, you say that, but uh, report just out in the papers and the media last week or the week before yeah. said it showed that New, uh, Auckland, um, we've got an aging fleet of, of diesel vehicles here. We're getting a lot of particulates. And, yeah, that's um, it. And it's only when people start measuring these things, like you did with the 
um, was it the bore? It wasn't boron. The, no, radon. The radon. Uh, um, the, radon and, and, and the particles, too. Yeah, because they're invisible, unless you've actually got some equipment in there and you start, start measuring these you things. Don't, yeah, you don't know. You don't know until and you start seeing the, the effects of them. We, we, know, we know that of the things that where we have enough health data, the containments we have enough health data for, the fine particles mm. are the things that pop out as being five to ten times uh, more important in terms of health endpoints than the, the next highest. Right. Wow. So, so, it, so the, the particles and, and our, most of our exposure to particles of outdoor origin mm. happen indoors. Right. And they leak in through the building enclosure into the, into right. the space. Right. Yeah, right. So that can be avoided by air sealing the building, the more you air seal the building, you cut that yeah. infiltration way down. Yeah. And if you're fan powering your ventilation, yep. uh, if you have fan powered outdoor air, you have the chance to filter the fine particles out of the air that's ventilated yeah. the building. Yeah. And so yeah. you can reduce that exposure. Awesome. Hey, well, thank you for uh, your time. Thanks for being in the country, oh, making my the, long, the long trip here. Thanks for, um, if thanks people want to find out more about you and what you're doing, where's the best place to connect with you? Um, well, they can reach me at my uh, at my email address, mm-hmm. which is terry at camroden.com. Right. And if people just start, search up Cam Roden, you, you and come up. Yeah, yeah they'll, well, <laughs> they'll, they'll find uh, my website, which I haven't done anything to in probably 10 years. But <laughs> yeah, but it works. Awesome. Thank you, Terry. Appreciate Thank it. You. Awesome. Terry Brennan there from Cam Roden Associates. And I'll put the links to both Cam Roden and also some of Terry's publications in the show notes, which you can find at homestylegreen.com forward slash 179 for this episode. You can contact me uh, by emailing me matthew at homestylegreen.com. And I'd love it if you could uh, share this episode and also head over to iTunes or wherever you're listening. Uh, give the show a rating and uh, and um, yeah, give it a bit of a review if you, if you like. Thank you very much for tuning in. We've got some more great interviews coming up. I'd love to hear your thoughts and also suggestions for future episodes as well. For now, go make a better place to live. <laughs>